0: our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of god consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart this is the word of the lord Thank you. Well, this is always a good time for me to thank you for holding my credentials so that I can pursue ministry to Muslims with Salaam 2.0. So, thank you. And also, thanks for your support of Christian Reformed World Missions. And uh, we appreciate that, and we ask for your prayers as we unite with Christian Reformed Home Missions. It's not easy to bring two agencies together. It has its challenges. So, thanks for your support and your prayers. So I get to talk to you this morning about something I'm excited about, and that's my favorite theory of the atonement, Christus victor, or Christ victorious. And I'm going to explain why. Because I think that in a changing world, a world where we're encountering people from many different cultures and other faiths, we have to be prepared theologically and missiologically. And that part of that is thinking about the gospel, the good news, in new ways. So generally, historically, in our tradition, we've mainly emphasized penal substitutionary atonement. And that is that Jesus Christ on the cross took our sins upon himself. He who had no sin was made to be sin for us so that we could be made righteous before God. Jesus Christ took on the punishment that was due us. And that is very biblical. But there are other ways to think about Christ's work on the cross and its benefit for us. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to think about some other ways about, about <clears throat> this whole issue. Now it's true, because we have focused on that penal substitutionary atonement, it's a sign that we've tended to focus on kind of a legal model right through the Western Church, emphasizing sin, guilt, righteousness. Many of our theologians in the past have kind of thought of a heavenly courtroom where we are before the righteous judge God, and Jesus is our defense lawyer. He's our advocate. And that's because, for example, the church father Tertullian was a lawyer. Augustine was trained in rhetoric. Calvin, we know, was also trained in legal ways. And so this has been a very strong emphasis in our tradition. Nothing wrong with it. Of course, the gospel is about sin. It's about our need for a savior and an advocate. That's the heart of the gospel message. But what about for people whose primary need might not necessarily be sin? What about for people who, because of their culture and the way they look at things, their worldview, being right and wrong isn't the most important issue. It doesn't really matter if you are exactly right. See, in our culture, being right or wrong is very important. But in many cultures, the truth can be bent for the sake of honor and shame and how you look towards the community. In that kind of situation, the first primary need isn't necessarily sin. Not that sin isn't a need, yes. But it might not be the way that people in other cultures, many of whom are coming to Canada and many whom are Muslim would respond, at least initially. Let me give you an example from a book called The Crescent Through the Eyes of the Cross by Nabil Jabor, a Middle Eastern Christian. He describes bringing a Muslim friend to see the movie Passion of the Christ. Remember that movie by Mel Gibson? Very graphic portrayal of Jesus' death on the cross. And afterwards, this, Muslim, this woman Muslim friend saw the movie and then he explained the gospel to her. He didn't only speak about sin, and guilt and righteousness but he also talked about shame and honor and after explaining Jesus' saving work on the cross here's what the woman said. She didn't say what a sinner that might be our initial response. She said oh how I long to be clean so do you see the difference? oh how I long to be clean. That was this woman's primary need. She was feeling, you know, unworthy, unclean, defiled. That was her issue. Now, this issue of shame and honor isn't that foreign to us either though, is it? I mean, definitely this is a major need for many people in the world today who come from developing countries and as I've talked with people, people from Africa, people from the Middle East, people from Asia, Shame is a big issue. But we also, in our own Western Christian tradition, can experience shame. Let me give you an example from my family. When my great-grandfather died in 1940, he was $20,000 in debt. Now $20,000, I think, in 1940 was a pretty huge amount of money. He had been fairly successful. He had homesteaded in Saskatchewan. He had lumber rights uh, in Kenora, Ontario. But of course, he lost it all in the 1929 crash, accumulated debt. 1940, he died. He was $20,000 in debt. So my grandfather and my uncle Alec, the two brothers, both took on $10,000 each of that debt. And slowly over time, they paid it off. Oh, why did they do that? To preserve the family honor and to prevent shame from coming to our family. But we don't always talk about shame, do we? We don't necessarily highlight it as an important need in our culture or other cultures. But many cultures, many cultures, this is an issue. For example, in the book, Things Fall Apart, the famous Nigerian author who passed away not that long ago, Chinwa Achebe, talks about shame in the Nigerian context. He talks about the main character, Okonkwo, whose father also died in debt and who never was given a special title in his village. And so throughout the book, Okonkwo spends most of his time trying to regain the family honor. He's a wrestler, and so he wrestles for victory and honor to restore the family honor. So this is an important issue to think about. But how is it that Jesus heals our shame? That's the next question. What is it about his work on the cross that leads to us knowing that we are no longer people who suffer from shame and that we have been restored to honor? Well, Thomas Long points out that Jesus did this in two ways. First of all, we know that Jesus didn't die by accident. He was convicted in a Roman court of law. And crucifixion was only for the worst criminals in Jesus' day. It was reserved only for the lowly of the low who had betrayed the Roman state and who had spoken against Caesar. So to be crucified was the very definition of shame in Roman culture. Second, when Jesus was hung on the cross, he was not given any covering, was he? You know, maybe you've seen in news reports that oftentimes, or perhaps in movies, when people are executed, they're given a black bag to put on their heads. I think when Saddam Hussein was executed, that was in the news. Why is that? Why are people covered? It's to preserve their dignity at the moment of execution. But was Jesus given a hood to put on his head? Was Jesus allowed in any way to protect his dignity on the cross? He wasn't, was he? He was fully exposed to the ridicule and the mocking of the crowds around him. See, in his death, Jesus experienced shame. And he did that for us. Jesus is intimately ex- Acquainted with our experience of shame. And he did that so that we could be restored to honor. That's why Jesus died in that way. But notice from our passage that Jesus didn't wallow in that shame. That that shame didn't hold Jesus back. It says that Jesus endured the cross scorning its shame, the Greek there is that he made it little, that he made it unimportant. He scorned the shame of the cross to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. So from shame to honor, and we are restored in Christ to that same honor. That's what God does for us through Jesus. He makes us his children. And generally, when children are in a family, they have the honor of the Father. It comes down to the children. Paul even goes one step further and says that we have been made heirs of God. And we are heirs of God's honor. Because of Jesus' victory. Christus' victor. So because of Jesus' work on the cross, that accomplished work, our shame is healed. And we are restored to honor. We are God's children. And this message of grace goes right through the whole Bible. Again, we don't always emphasize it, but it's there. It was important in Hebrew culture, too. Psalm 34 says... I sought the Lord, this is in verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. So, this is a message of grace right through the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. The prophet Joel says in chapter 2, verse 26 looking ahead to the day of the Lord in his time, the time of the Messiah. Never again will my people be shamed, never again, because of Jesus. So this is good news for many people in the world today, many who are Muslims, folk Muslims, many different cultures. But there's more good news, there's more. Because it also says in Psalm 34, I sought the Lord and he answered me, he delivered me from all my fears. So there's more here. So we've covered sin, we've covered shame, but he delivers us also from fear. Fear is another big problem that many people in the world have today, especially if they come from an animistic background or a folk Muslim background. Animism being, you know, that spirits are alive in the world and in nature. Many of them are evil, that's animism. Many people who are coming to Canada today will have that kind of worldview. Let me give you an example from my missionary days. I'm going back a little bit into the 90s, when my wife and I and our family were missionaries in Mali, West Africa. And we were working among the Fulani people. And when, in our village, a woman had a baby, we would often go greet the mother, see the baby, and when we saw the baby, the first thing we would say was, that is the ugliest baby I have ever seen. Now how would that go over here? Probably not well, right? Imagine Pastor Chris making a pastoral visit to the hospital and saying that. <laughs> Probably not easy. But that's the way it was in Fulani culture. That is the ugliest baby. I've ever seen. If you're ever in West Africa visiting a Fulani family with a new baby, now you know what to do. In fact, there was a good friend of ours, a, a woman who was very best friends with my wife, had a baby and they called the baby Samba Kine. Samba Kine means Samba with a big nose. How would you like that for a name? Samba with the big nose. Now why did they do that? Why would the Fulani insult each other on such an auspicious occasion? Because they were afraid, and this is very common, this is very common, that if you complimented the baby, something called the evil eye would focus on that baby and bad things would start to happen. See, people of God, that's living in fear, isn't it? Being afraid of the evil eye. Many people in the world today are afraid of the evil eye. Afraid that bad things will come to them. But 1 John 3 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That's why Jesus came, to destroy the devil's work. So that's why Christus Victor is so important. That's why focusing on this aspect of Jesus' atonement is so helpful. Because when we focus on what Jesus has done on the cross, his victory, we know that he's first of all had victory over sin. That's well established. We also know he's had victory over shame. And he's had victory over fear. Jesus experienced turmoil and fear in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what was ahead of him. And yet he obediently followed the Father's will to the cross. And he had victory over fear. And on the cross, Jesus had victory over death. And that last enemy, Satan, he had victory over evil. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And so when we think about Christus Victor, when we think about living into this message today, I think it's helpful because there are a lot of things we could be afraid of. We live in a world of terrorism. I heard on the radio this morning that the way that we're thinking about the world today is, is revolt on the margins. It's no longer huge revolutions like the Russian Revolution. No, it's small revolutions by people on the margins. And so there's terrorism in the world today, and there's ISIS, and Al-Shabaab, and Boko Haram, and Al-Qaeda, and all these groups that could make us be afraid, and yet we have this victory. And Jesus Christ has done this for us, and that continues to apply to us today. His benefits are for us now, applied to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. So we are people who should not live in fear or live in shame or live in sin because Jesus has had the victory. Now let me give you another example from my missionary days that I think shows living into Christus Victor. And I admit to you this morning that I haven't always, I haven't always lived into Christus Victor. In our village of Yuvuru in Mali, just off of the Niger River, north towards the Sahara Desert, uh, water was a problem. The Niger River would flood. The wells were shallow. There was a lot of disease. So one day, a German NGO came, and they said, we're going to build a deep water well, and we're going to have clean water in the village. So this was a great thing and they did, they built a beautiful deep water well on the outskirts of the village and a huge water tower so that gravity could pump water to various parts of the village and in fact if you had some money you could even have a water faucet a robinet right in your own compound. We never did do that but it was tempting. So everything was going well and our village was experiencing health through this new water till one day it stopped working. And so my neighbor, Hadi, came to me and he said, Gareg, Gareg, that's what they called me, Gareg, Gareg, Jinn have attacked the water tower and it's no longer working. And I think he literally was going like this because that's what I remember. Jinn, it's like they were attacking the pipe so that the water couldn't go up. Now, what are Jinn? Jinn are these spirits that Muslims believe in and folk Muslims created out of fire they are not angels or demons, they're not human, although they can appear as human beings. They're sort of beings sort of in the middle in, Islam, in the Islamic world view. And they are generally called mischief. I mean, they don't have to cause mischief, they're, they're more neutral. But it seems to me, in my experience, they do cause a lot of mischief. They live in deserted places, in cemeteries and in bathrooms. And on the outskirts of villages where the water tower was. Uh, We get our word genie in English from Jinn, by the way. So here's Hadi. He's super concerned that the water has stopped because Jinn have attacked the tower. And so I said to Hadi, I said, Hadi, you know, being a good Westerner, trained in rationalism, I said, Hadi, I'm sure that it's going to get fixed because Germans are good engineers. And they will come, and they will fix whatever the problem is, probably the pump, and they will, they will fix it. Well, Hadi left. He didn't seem very convinced. Why not? Why wasn't Hadi convinced by my good Western rationalistic explanation? Because he was thinking in a different way, wasn't he? He had a different worldview. He was thinking of, of, of spirits and power and fear. He was afraid. He was afraid that this beautiful water project was wrecked by these mischievous jinn. So what should I have said? Hindsight's 2020, of course. But how could I have lived into Christus Victor? What about if I had said this? Hadi, Jesus Christ is more powerful than any jinn. Do we believe that? Even if we don't believe in jinn. Yes. Jesus Christ is more powerful than any ginn. What if I had prayed in Jesus' name for that water tower over those gin? That would have been living into Christus Victor. That would have been living into the reality of Jesus' victory on the cross. So I want, what I want to challenge you today, both personally and as we encounter people with other worldviews, like Hadi and others, especially those who are coming to Canada as refugees and new immigrants, is to think, is to think in different ways, but especially to think about this Christus Victor, that this is a message of good news for all people, and particularly for people suffering from shame and fear but the challenge for us today is that we have to live into this that we have to live into the victory that we have in Jesus Christ and allow Jesus victory to heal us as well as God's people as his church we live in a world that's changing but it's also forcing us to change too, to think in new ways to be open to new ideas to realize more of what God has done for us and to find out truly where the good news is today. And we have the Holy Spirit to help us, to lead us, and to guide us. So let's be ready. If somebody says, Jin, have attacked the water tower, let's be ready to pray in Jesus' name. And let's be ready to say, Jesus has had the victory over sin, shame, fear, death, and evil. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we're so thankful that we are a people living in victory. But sometimes we forget. So we pray that you'd forgive us. And that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to live into that victory over our shame Over our fear, our sin, and that we would be a people who bring good news to the world, a world that.